section three of the rover volume one number fifteen this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox dot org the rover volume one number fifteen edited by seba smith and lawrence labrie section three the page's revenge by h j conway at the time that filippo maria visconti that most consummate of tyrants wore the ducal crown of milan there dwelt in that fair city two noble families between whom had subsisted for several generations a close alliance these families were the montelermos and the vitellis these names had been distinguished in the early and virtuous times when the milanese inspired with an ardent passion for liberty set all italy a glorious example in the heroic struggle which they maintained for freedom against the whole force of the empire under the conduct of that great captain frederick barbarossa those days had long since departed and freedom had become a forbidden word in milan yet the montelermos and the vitellis though compelled to submit to the succession of tyrannical despots who usurped their natural rights still preserved among their degenerate countrymen an unblemished reputation for probity and honour a remarkable coincidence seemed to attend the fluctuating fortunes of these two houses both had risen from obscurity in the patriotic struggle against the empire both had been ennobled for deeds performed in the same bloody field and after several intermarriages between the different branches both houses now saw themselves reduced to a single representative on either side julian de montalermo a youth of nineteen was the sole survivor of his race and adrian vitelli with his only daughter isadora were the last of their name the father of julian when on his deathbed had expressed to his friend adrian an ardent desire that the families might be united in the persons of their children a desire that met with a warm response in the bosom of adrian who alive to the ancient feeling of regard that had so long subsisted between the families and loving the amiable julian as his son could desire for his isadora no better nor more suitable protector the affection of the parents was however too sincere to allow them to make any attempt to trammel the feelings of their children and adrian vitelli while he promised his dying friend to bestow on julian his daughter's hand whenever it was demanded assured him that he would make no effort to bias the young man's election and he kept his word the vitelli palace was ever open to julian and a warm welcome ever greeted his entrance but he was never persuaded by anything but genuine kindness to renew his visit the wishes of the parents however without effort on their own part were apparently gratified the charms of the fair isadora soon made a complete conquest of the ardent julian 
and she though refraining with maiden coyness from at once blessing his suit with an avowal of a reciprocal passion with her eloquent eyes told him plainly enough that he need not despair they now met daily and julian having at length extorted from his adored and desired confession hastened to her father to declare his passion and demand his daughter's hand i thank heaven exclaimed adrian vitelli after listening to the young man that this is so it was the earnest wish of your father's heart as it has long been of mine that you should wed my isadora she is yours my son and may the grace of heaven be upon your union that though the name of vitelli must become extinct in my tomb the blood of our race mingled with the pure stream of your own may yet descend to posterity the day for the celebration of the nuptials was appointed and had already approached within a few weeks when one of those ruptures which so frequently occurred between the italian states at that period breaking out between florence and milan adrian vitelli who held a command in the service of the sovereign he despised was compelled to hasten to the field this was a severe disappointment to the lovers to julian as it might probably postpone the day of his bliss for some time and to isadora as it deprived her of the society of a father she tenderly loved and exposed his life to all the dreadful casualties of war as they were already affianced however the absence of adrian did not prevent his daughter from receiving the visits of her lover they met daily and each succeeding interview increased the ardour of that passion that burned in the bosom of each it was midnight and silence reigned in the vitelli palace in a spacious saloon the arched roof of which rested upon pillars of polished marble sat the fair isadora and at her feet reclining on the marble floor his arm only resting on a silken cushion was her lover a subdued light pervaded the apartment which emanated from an immense lamp that was borne aloft in the centre of the saloon by a bronze atlas of colossal height the beams of light passing through a globe of ground glass fell with a mellow lustre upon all around gleaming like moonlight upon the polished floor and casting prostrate the shadows of the tall pillars like the figures of sleeping giants the open doors on one side of the saloon gave entrance to a broad terrace which descended by steps to the garden beyond where the orange and citron displaying at once their golden fruit and white blossom sent clouds of fragrance at every wandering breath that visited them and shook their dark green laurel-like leaves in the glittering moonlight it was a beautiful scene and harmonized well with those youthful forms whose presence made its beauty perfect few figures were more symmetrical than julian's and as he reclined on the white marble floor his dark dress displayed by the contrast every curve and line of its elegant contour his fine face turned upward was illuminated by the soft and steady lustre of the lamp and glowed with all the ambition of youth and love as in the low rich tones of passion he addressed his heart's idol and well might his love be adoration when he gazed upon that matchless face perfect in all the attributes of classic beauty it was at the same time 
animated and enriched by that indescribable expression of tenderness and delicacy which love imprints upon the brow of woman her whole soul seemed to be absorbed in the object before her as in perfect silence she listened to his words and drank in through her own the light of his eyes her dress as well as the delicate proportions of her figure were in happy contrast with her lovers a white robe of rich satin enveloped her form and according to the style of the time displayed the whiteness of her neck and the tapering symmetry of her waist while its ample skirt forming a long train lay in thick folds about her feet and hid them from the view she was without ornament of any kind save a string of pearls that hanging round her neck descended to her waist and supported a small ivory crucifix you are silent my isadora said julian as he again pressed her passive hand to his lips you are silent why does not my beloved speak to me a gentle sigh broke from the heaving bosom of isadora as she seemed to awake at her lover's question from some sweet reverie pardon me she murmured i did not hear you julian nay he said half pettishly this is unkind now here have i been talking to you this half hour and using all the moving arguments i could think of to induce you to comply with my proposal and now you say you did not hear me it is too true love replied the fair girl with a smile at her lover's pique but be not angry with me for my seeming neglect for though i did not hear a word you said i assure you i was attending to you most thoughtfully attending to me and yet not hear me said Duyan. i hope my love has not grown deaf oh no she answered i am not deaf and then stooping till her brow rested upon his shoulder while a rich blush overspread her face she continued you look so beautiful julian as you lay at my feet that i forgot to listen as i gazed and your words only murmured in my ears like the sounds of sweet music oh sweet flatterer cried julian as rising he took her in his arms and placed himself beside her on the couch then you heard not my proposal what proposal she asked that i shall write to your father answered julian and request his permission for our immediate union never she exclaimed quickly i wonder at you julian that you should suppose me capable of such an act what would my dear father think of me if while he lies exposed to all the hardships and calamities of war i should show myself so little regardful of him as to allow such a request to be made but you know love replied julian that to-morrow is the day that your father himself appointed for our nuptials and i am sure he would not wish his absence to delay our happiness if you wish not that i should write yet dearest delay not to bless me what mean you she asked i mean he replied pressing her to his heart that you must to-morrow redeem the pledge you gave at our contracting and in the sight of heaven become mine for ever father giovanni has promised to perform the ceremony whenever i may call upon him and there is nothing to prevent it from taking place she rested her blushing cheek upon his shoulder as she murmured wait love a little a little longer yet then you love me not isadora as i thought you did he exclaimed or you would not wish to defer the moment that is to give us to each other 
oh if you loved as i do no feelings of filial regard no scruples of maiden delicacy could induce you to refuse the request i have made you love me no longer isadora unkind julian to say so murmured isadora as a glittering tear fell from her dark eye upon his hand forgive me he cried forgive me i will press you no more and he kissed her drooping eyelids as he spoke they remained for some minutes in silence his arms supporting her waist while her brow rested on his shoulder a profound sigh at length escaped her and looking up she said julian i will do anything to please you and will you wed me to-morrow dearest he exclaimed eagerly i will she replied as she threw her arms about his neck and hid her face in his bosom at that moment the lovers were startled by a rustling noise near them julian sprung to his feet and looking round quickly perceived some one gliding down the steps of the terrace he rushed toward the retreating figure and in a few moments re-entered the saloon grasping by the arm a handsome boy of about fifteen years of age very richly dressed you have a courtly page lady exclaimed julian as he led the boy toward her i found him stealing away and have no doubt he has been playing the listener speak sir was it not so the boy remained sullenly silent what cried julian angrily and shaking him violently are you possessed of a dumb devil speak or i shall quickly shake an answer from you by a sudden effort the boy released himself from julian's grasp and rushing to isadora knelt at her feet i have done wrong he cried with much emotion and from you senora i will receive any punishment you choose to inflict but to you only am i answerable for my faults and from you only will i submit to reproof i am much offended with you geronimo said isadora you have acted unworthily and rudely but before i speak further make your submission to signor julian never exclaimed the page starting to his feet and casting a glance of defiance at julian then leave me sir cried isadora in a voice of anger and let me see you no more and before you go sir page said julian receive the guerdon of a base act as he spoke he struck him lightly on the cheek a sudden fury seemed to possess the boy in an instant his countenance became deadly pale his whole frame trembled and drawing a small dagger which he wore at his side he sprung upon julian the latter however avoided the blow which was aimed at his breast by springing nimbly aside and then seizing the infuriated boy by the arm he wrested the poniard from his grasp and threw it far into the garden geronimo cast upon him a malignant glance and rushed from the saloon on the following morning before the vesper bell had rung there stood in a small chapel of the franciscan convent the good father giovanni and two other persons closely enveloped in cloaks by the dim light of the solitary lamp which faintly illuminated the chapel the priest proceeded to read the marriage ceremony and in a few minutes julian de montalermo and isadora vitelli were linked together in the indissoluble bonds of sacred wedlock after receiving a fervent blessing from the good father who had united them the bride and bridegroom quitted the chapel and proceeded in the great light of the dawning day toward the vitelli palace they were both 
too much occupied with each other to perceive that upon quitting the chapel they were followed by some person enveloped like themselves in a cloak and when they stopped within sight of the bride's home they failed to remark that the same person stopped likewise and screened within a portico stood near enough to hear every word that passed between them that however seemed but little calculated to extend his information all that was uttered was a hasty farewell and these words pronounced by julian remember six with those words the newly wedded pair separated isadora entering her home and julian retiring in an opposite direction as they disappeared the listener stepped from his concealment and was about to follow julian when the voices of persons advancing from that direction caused him to pause and then to withdraw again into the shadow of the portico as he stood in his concealment the persons whom he had heard advanced and he could distinguish by the increasing light of the morning the figures of the party they were three evidently from the richness of their dress all men of rank though the centre one seemed to be treated with peculiar deference by the other two they were all masked and walked rapidly conversing freely as they went as they passed the portico one of them was heard to say she was too much honoured by your highness's notice those words seemed to produce a sudden effect upon the listener he started gazed eagerly after the retiring figures for a few moments and then springing forward followed them cautiously at a short distance after traversing a few streets they came to the square in which stood the ducal palace all was here silence and repose a single halberdier of the guard paced slowly to and fro in the great portico of the palace no other living thing was visible the three crossed the square to the ducal abode and ran up the steps that led to the portico the sentinel challenged and presented his pike but the centre one of the three who was now in advance of the other two removed his mask for a moment and the soldier raising the point of his lance stood motionless till they all passed him the person who had followed them thus far had gradually lessened the distance between himself and the party he was following till upon their arrival at the palace he was but a few paces behind them when they ascended the steps he had sprung up nimbly after them and was now so near that the sentinel thinking him one of the party made no opposition to his entrance passing through the vestibule the party entered a large hall at the further end of which a spacious stairway of white marble led to the upper apartments the principal personage of the three passed directly forward to the stair while the other two turned off to the right down one of the numerous passages that entered the great hall he who had followed the party sprang lightly after the person who was ascending the stairs and exclaimed in a low voice my lord an audience i crave an audience of your highness the duke for it was the, the visconti himself turned quickly round at these words and seeing a stranger within a few feet of him grew very pale as he started back and half drew his sword the intruder seeing the effect his sudden appearance had produced stopped and sinking on his knee upon the stairs said i beseech your pardon my lord but i have something to communicate which your highness would probably like to hear who are you and how came you here cried the duke apparently a little reassured by the youth and humility of the intruder i am nothing but a poor boy who was yesterday a page to the fairest lady in milan but am now without friends or service i saw your highness but now 
entering your palace and i followed you so closely that i was allowed to pass unquestioned indeed you are a bold boy methinks muttered the duke and pray what important matter was it you had to communicate to us the face of the page whom our readers have no doubt ere this discovered to be geronimo grew very pale and his voice faltered as he said i know my lord that the honour of your love was once scornfully rejected by the lady isadora vitelli ha cried visconti knitting his brows you speak boldly sir your pardon my lord continued the page that lady was privately wedded this morning to julian de montalermo none but the priest who performed the ceremony and myself are acquainted with the fact the bridegroom has not yet been admitted to the apartment of the bride and i can if your highness be so inclined he stopped suddenly and looked down well sir exclaimed the duke thou canst do what admit your highness instead of the bridegroom said geronimo by st francis a proper page cried visconti eyeing him closely but tell me what has induced you to do the happy pair this shrewd turn vengeance exclaimed geronimo with so much vehemence and starting up at the same moment so suddenly that the duke snatched his sword from the scabbard and presented it to his breast but the page without noticing the alarm he had occasioned continued speaking i hate julian de montalermo as i hate the enemy of souls and have long hated him for he has been as a dark shadow between me and a glorious dream that has sometimes come upon my spirit like a vision of elysium i hate him for that though he had never felt my vengeance but for a base blow which he dealt me last night but your mistress cried the duke would you betray her because you hate her husband she was by when the blow was given answered geronimo the duke gazed upon the boy a few moments and then said know you what will be your fate if you deceive me in this matter or fail to do as you have promised i only know replied the page that my life is in your highness's power and if i fail in word or deed i deserve to lose it you say well cried visconti follow me then but stop first cast off that cloak i like not these muffled companions geronimo immediately dropped his cloak upon the stair where he stood and exhibited his slight and graceful figure the duke scanned him narrowly and his brow contracted as his eye rested on the small poniard which the boy had replaced in his girdle why are you armed asked the timid tyrant armed my lord exclaimed geronimo in surprise and then glancing in the direction of the duke's eye to his girdle he continued mean you this toy my lord i've always worn it as part of my page's gear but if your highness like it not it shall lie there and as he spoke he drew the dagger from its sheath and threw it on the cloak a slight flush reddened for a moment the pale cheek of the duke as he gazed on the quiet and perfectly self-possessed demeanour of the boy while his own heart ever the victim of guilty terrors was beating rapidly at the vague apprehension of some intended treachery the slightest indication at that moment evinced by geronimo that he was aware of the tyrant's weakness might have been fatal to him but he either did not observe it being too much absorbed in the great task of vengeance he had undertaken or observing it he possessed sufficient tact to conceal what was passing in his mind the tyrant recovered from his sense of self-abasement and again commanding the boy to follow him proceeded up the spacious stair a more detestable tyrant than filippo maria visconti never stained with his crimes the page of history an abandoned voluptuary an unbridled libertine 
neither shame nor remorse could restrain the indulgence of his guilty passions while a fiendish cruelty of disposition gave additional zest to their gratification from the misery which they inflicted upon his victims few families of note in milan but had some dishonour to avenge received at the hands of their ducal tyrant a superlative villainy marked his libertine indulgences whenever by his power or of his wits he had succeeded in effecting the ruin of the object of his desires he invariably contrived to give publicity to the fact and thus not only cast dishonour upon a whole family but generally destroyed his victim by exposing her to the fury of some brother or husband who unable to gratify his vengeance on the real author of his wrongs sought to wash out the stigma cast upon his name in the blood of the unfortunate victim it may seem surprising that injuries of this nature so diabolically aggravated could be committed with impunity by any tyrant however great his power or debased his subjects but there are too many instances on record which prove that a people once accustomed to tyranny sinks so rapidly in the scale of moral degradation as to become quickly insensible to the vilest wrongs every succeeding blow from the iron hand of despotism deadens the generous feelings of humanity and at length totally extinguishes them a fatal apathy succeeds the glow of patriotism and honour a sense of shame and self-abasement weighs upon the soul and the unhappy victim of tyranny sinks supinely at the feet of his oppressor half unconscious of his wretchedness because insensible to his wrongs the temple of liberty should be defended on the threshold her sanctuary once invaded the deity is found there no more she quits for ever the desecrated shrine yet the milanese did not submit tamely to their wrongs many designs had been formed by the less degraded of their number to rid their country of its odious despot but fortuitous events or the want of unanimity among the contrivers had always rendered these schemes abortive and brought down upon their own heads the destruction that should have fallen on the tyrant the discovery of these conspiracies against his person while it dreadfully alarmed his timid nature for his cowardice was equal to his cruelty failed to intimidate him from his career of guilt on the contrary he seemed stimulated to new vices by the dangers that attended them and like a terrified steed dashed madly on regardless of every obstacle in his way among the beauties of milan none had more excited the libertine admiration of visconti than isidore vitelli he had seen her at church and on the very evening of the day on which they had thus first met he had intruded on her at her father's palace adrian was absent and isidora seemed at the mercy of the tyrant but she rejected his infamous proposals with such spirit and resolution that the tyrant was for a moment abashed and the return of the father prevented for the time the further prosecution of his design he left her with a determination of gratifying his passion and revenge by her ruin but another intrigue on the following day diverted his thoughts and isidora for a time was forgotten under these circumstances the communication made by the page was eagerly received by the libertine tyrant and he already pampered the twin demons of his heart luxury and cruelty with his anticipated triumph chapter two the day the tedious day at length had fled and night had hung her sombre drapery over the earth isidora in her bridal chamber awaited the coming of her lord she was not alone her nurse and only confidant was with her between the faithful janetta and her 
young mistress an affection nearly allied to that of mother and daughter subsisted isadora had received from her nurse all the tender office of a parent and the feeling which that relation naturally inspires had been strengthened by the early loss of her mother accustomed from her childhood to look upon janetta as her companion and friend she still regarded her in the same light and janetta still exercised over her beloved foster-child the same degree of affectionate control with which she had superintended the years of her infancy hark cried isadora starting and raising her head from her nurse's shoulder on which she had been leaning is not that a footstep as she spoke she listened attentively her left hand was still grasped in that of janetta her right raised and bent forward the light of two large tapers that stood near fell upon her figure and revealed its loveliness she was attired in a loose undress of spotless white the thin fleecy fabric of her garment hung about her like a cloud heightening rather than concealing the rich but delicate outline of her figure her cheek was painted with an unusual glow her full dark eyes seemed to flash as it reflected the rays of light and her bosom heaved like a storm-swept sea settling at naught the slight restraint of her delicate vesture hark she exclaimed surely that was a footstep yes love replied janetta it is giacomo locking the chambers in the corridor it is his last office before he retires for the night listen you may hear him ascending to his dormitory isadora dropped her hand and turned toward the open casement through which the cool night air entered and fanned her heated brow you tremble like a new-caught bird said janetta throwing her arms around her waist and pressing her to her bosom fie fie be more a woman as she spoke a deep-toned bell broke on the stillness of the night at the first stroke isadora almost sprung from her nurse's arms and then clinging to her with the utmost tenacity she lay trembling in every fibre janetta counted the clock till the last stroke was struck and then exclaimed six now be prepared at that moment a single note of a guitar faintly struck was heard beneath the window it was repeated twice and janetta disengaging herself from the embrace of the trembling bride approached the window a ladder of ropes lay beneath it one end already secured within the chamber this janetta threw out into the street and then again approaching as a door endeavoured to soothe her agitation i must leave you now dearest child she said and the tears fell as she spoke but i leave you to the love and care of one who has pledged to protect and cherish you through life isadora spoke not but she kissed her affectionate friend as she quitted her and assumed a degree of composure she had not felt for some time janetta took the tapers in her hand and approached the door she turned to cast one fond look upon the expecting bride and then quitted the chamber as she did so the figure of a man appeared at the window and the next moment he leaped upon the floor julian exclaimed isadora in a low and tremulous voice he answered by folding her in his arms that day had been to julian a period of delirium when he quitted his bride in the early morning he hastened home and hurrying to his apartment indulged in solitude the dreams which his anticipated happiness inspired about noon he walked out and visited the shop of a certain barber who like many of his craft at that time was notorious for his intriguing disposition he found the worthy baptista alone and for a florin procured from him the loan of a rope ladder which with masks disguises and other necessary implements of intrigue the good barber kept constantly by him and considered as an essential part of his stock and trade julian wrapped the precious ladder in his cloak and returned home not without speculating upon the uses to which his acquisition might have been applied 
and being strongly inclined to come to the conclusion that it had never been engaged in so honest a service as that in which he intended to employ it he would fain have gone directly to the vitelli palace and delivered to isadora herself the instrument which was to conduct him to happiness but she had exacted from him in the morning a promise that he would not visit her through the day and he could not violate his pledge he was therefore compelled to admit his faithful servant bernarder to his confidence and to dispatch him with the latter to isadora he then mounted his horse and to while away the time rode some distance out of the city the sun was setting when he turned his horse homeward and ere he reached the city it was dark as he entered the gates he found himself suddenly surrounded and seized by a body of the duke's guards in vain he protested against the outrage and insisted upon being informed of the grounds for his arrest his complaints were unanswered and he himself being thrust into a close litter was hurried off to the citadel arrived at the fortress he was conducted to a small room in which was a bed and a scanty supply of other furniture here he was locked in for the night his keeper refusing to answer any questions and left to an anxious and horrible solitude how terrible were the thoughts that crowded on his brain as with restless steps he paced his narrow apartment what had caused his arrest by whom was it ordered what was to be its consequence these were the questions he continually proposed to himself and a hundred various conjectures suggested themselves in reply he was perfectly unconscious of any offence which could justify his arrest and his mind soon rested on the conviction that he owed his imprisonment to the malice of some cowardly enemy or to the tyrannical caprice of the duke he recollected upon consideration to have seen among the guards who arrested him a figure like that of geronimo though he could not distinguish his features could it be possible that that boy had denounced him and if so upon what grounds but these however perplexing were secondary considerations to the agony of his feelings produced by his detention at such a moment as the hours of night wore on he became maddened with rage disappointment and fear the city clock kept a constant record of the time proclaiming each fleeting hour in iron accents to his ear three four five struck in succession and still he was there in that dark narrow room enclosed by massive walls and iron bars in another hour his isadore his bride his wife would expect him then came busy fancy with her magic pencil producing in vivid colours to his mind's eye the picture of his love waiting in her bridal apartment the coming of the tardy groom how exquisitely lovely did she look how more than ever tender and interesting timid and expecting blushing and trembling every phase of changing beauty presented by turns then came a cloud of sadness on her brow the time had passed and he came not she was neglected perhaps deserted tears distilled from her bright eyes and she retired weeping to her lonely pillow a hot fever here spread itself through his veins delirium seized upon his brain and he shouted aloud to be set free now uttering menaces of the direst vengeance and then offering all he possessed for the indulgence of one hour's liberty but his calls were unheeded and in a paroxysm of fury and despair he threw himself with desperate violence against the massive wall and fell insensible on the prison floor the day dawned and janetta stood by the bridal bed alas it had little the appearance of a bridal couch on it lay isadora her pillow wet with tears and her face pale and weeping in vain did the faithful janetta herself weeping at beholding the condition of her beloved child entreat her to disclose the cause of her distress sobs and tears were all the answers she could get so wore the day until about noon when isadora left her disconsolate bed and wandered into the garden she was seated in a little pavilion in a sequestered spot overhung by acacias 
her mind still dwelling upon the great subject of her affliction when she was startled by the sound of hastily approaching footsteps and in the next moment julian stood before her his dress was disordered his countenance pale and haggard and he panted for breath the moment he saw her however he sprung eagerly forward and clasped her to his heart for an instant she returned his embrace but quickly as if stung by some sudden thought she disengaged herself from his arms and repulsed his caresses leave me leave me she exclaimed and do not act a part you cannot feel you know you love me not and these affected transports do but insult my wretchedness dearest isadora he cried listen to my exculpation and then blame me if you can i am innocent indeed i am innocent no she exclaimed you are not innocent your conduct has been barbarous and cruel wantonly cruel ungenerous julian how have i deserved such treatment have i loved too well was it because i yielded too readily to your impatient desires that you have inflicted on me this cruel punishment oh go go and leave me to my lonely widowhood your widowhood dearest what means my isadora and he seized and retained her reluctant hand as he spoke yes she replied my widowhood your love for me is dead and therefore am i a widow he took her in his arms and gently forced her to a seat beside him unkind isadora he exclaimed to treat me thus resentfully after all that i have suffered on your account oh love if you knew in what horrors i passed the weary night if you could have heard the exclamations that were prompted by the bitterness of my soul you would not thus distract me with your unkindness the weary night she exclaimed with a sigh the weary night indeed but if it were really so to you whom but your cruel self have you to blame by these tears he cried kissing the glittering drops from her cheek i am innocent by these sweet but cruel lips i am innocent unkind girl to think me for a moment guilty i am the one to whom offence belongs i may well complain at this sad and reproachful reception after all that i have endured well might i upbraid you for your little faith in that heart you know so well your own and which but yesterday was by a sacred and irrevocable vow devoted to you for ever cruel isadora to think for a moment my faith tainted would it have been so with me never had the dire necessity which separated us been reversed and you had been forced from me should i have accused my isadora no i would have railed at fortune or at destiny but never at isadora the pure faith in my own bosom would have prevented me from doubting hers and when again we met i should have flown as i do now to her arms have pressed her to my heart have snatched a thousand treasures from her lips and rioted in the joys that cruel accident had defrauded me of youthful ardent and loving they could not thus long remain nor yield to that potent tide of passion which was still sweeping them onward toward each other whatever cause of complaint isadora might suppose she had against her husband and however strong the proofs in which her charge against him rested she quickly lost sight of all in the sweet delirium of his caresses her full fraught heart was too full of love to retain sorrow or resentment the glowing fervour of pure and hallowed affection spread itself through her veins and in a blissful ecstasy she sunk with murmurs of endearment on his bosom fleeting but happy moments why oh why could you not have been prolonged or why could not friendly death have approached the happy pair in their trance of love and with his icy dart congealed the current of their hearts and swept them at once from bliss into oblivion but tell me tell me traitor exclaimed isadora playfully the tale you have contrived for your excuse tell me quickly or i retract my pardon i will tell you all love he said and you shall then see how blameless i have been and how much you owe me for your unjust suspicions yesterday to pass the tedious time i rode abroad and returned not to the city till night had fallen as i passed through the gate 
san marco i was suddenly surrounded and seized by men-at-arms belonging to the duke in spite of all remonstrance they hurried me to the citadel and immured me in a cell there i passed the night almost in madness and this morning but an hour ago being liberated with as little explanation as i was imprisoned i flew on the wings of love to my isadora see now how causelessly you have blamed me julian she exclaimed poutingly you treat me ill to trifle thus tell me the truth at once on my faith and love dearest he replied this is the truth i have already told why should you doubt me love she fixed her large lustrous eyes upon him the pout quitted her lip and an expression of anxiety gathered on her brow slight at first and scarcely perceptible like a faint cloud on the horizon but increasing every moment till her whole brow was shattered with it and the mantling blood faded from her cheek and lips trifle not she said again her voice now tremulous tell me the truth indeed love he replied i have spoken nothing but the truth you are unkind to doubt me and with such a troubled look what ails you dearest that you gaze upon me thus tell me the truth she murmured again unkind is adora he said pettishly how shall i convince you he snatched a crucifix that was hanging at her waist and pressing it to his lips said solemnly by this holy emblem i swear that what i have told you as the cause of detaining me from your arms last night is true she saw him kiss the cross she heard his words and the pallor of death overspread her countenance no marble could have been paler than her face all the blood in her veins seemed to have been frozen her bosom ceased to heave her nerves to tremble and she sat like a stiffened corse her eye alone by its wild and fitful fire proclaiming life her right hand was slowly raised and in a sepulchral voice she asked know you this ring that ring he said in a troubled tone a strange and definite feeling creeping over him and making him tremble in every fibre that ring no surely i know it not and yet i think i have seen it before yes yes i have seen that ring on the hand of visconti it is the duke's that serpent is his fitting recognizance the death-like rigidity that had fallen upon isidora was broken a tremor crept over her frame a sort of shudder that seemed to break the ice about her heart her bosom heaved at first gently but swelling longer and higher every moment till the velvet that enshrouded it seemed too weak to restrain it a ball appeared to rise and swell within her throat she gasped for breath her eyes became fearfully distended and as julian caught her in his trembling arms a shriek burst from her lips so shrill so wild and full of agony that the husband's heart was stilled within his bosom then she lay white and cold in his arms long did the unfortunate isidora remain in that death-like trance julian at first gazed on her with a distracted air as if unconscious that he held her in his arms his soul was stunned by the first blow of a vague and horrible suspicion and he was incapable for a time of thought or action gradually however the pale and death-like features of his bride fixed his attention all but her present deplorable condition was forgotten and with a heavy sense of pain about his heart but without any remains of that dark thought which a few moments before had overshadowed his soul he set about endeavouring to recover her from her insensibility all his efforts however proved unavailing she still remained cold and insensible and he was obliged to seek further assistance raising her in his arms he bore her to the house and resigned her to the care of janetta who almost distracted at beholding the child of her love in that wretched condition was for a time incapable of rendering her the assistance she so much needed a messenger was however dispatched for the nearest surgeon and the sufferer in the meanwhile conveyed to bed to her bridal bed julian would not quit her for a moment but still stood bending over her insensible form when the surgeon arrived he immediately opened a vein 
and after a short time the blood began to ooze slowly from the puncture the tide of life once again in motion animation and soon returned profound sighs heaved the bosom of the wretched girl and her eyes again opened to the light of day a smile played upon her pale face when she beheld julian at her side but it was only for a moment she cast her eye around the apartment and shuddered violently as she exclaimed why am i here oh bear me from this dreadful place i cannot remain here and springing out of bed she was caught in the arms of julian he would have replaced her on the couch but she shrieked when he attempted it and implored him to take her elsewhere the distracted bridegroom complied with her request and carried her in his arms to an adjoining room there she desired to be left with julian only and all others quitting the room the wretched pair were left to themselves julian kneeling by the bedside and holding her cold hand in his besought her to impart to him the cause of her distress what has happened he exclaimed what dreadful misery has fallen on us both that you are thus stricken down and i oppressed as if the hand of death were on me tell me isadora tell me all and let me know the worst i will i will she cried but oh my julian do not hate me when you hear it sobs choked her utterance and a violent fit of weeping relieved her in some degree from the hysterical affection which had almost suffocated her hate you cried julian oh my love what mean you by such wild words hate you no while life is in my heart you will be its dearest treasure whatever fate may do to us she cannot extinguish in my bosom its love for isadora he clasped her in his arms as he spoke but she disengaged herself from his embrace exclaiming as she did so touch me not julian touch me not i am your wedded wife yet you must not touch me never again must you take me in those fond arms never again must my head rest upon your bosom o wretched fate but yesterday wedded to-day parted for ever and we so young too that love so truly that could have made our earthly home a paradise oh tis very very hard distract me not he cried by these terrible words i cannot bear it my isadora madness will seize me parted for ever what shall part us are you not my wife who shall take you from me fate she cried wildly horrible and cruel destiny will part us has parted us already o oh, julian i will tell you all and die i have nothing more to do with this bright world to me it is all dark dreary and desolate oh how different from yesterday again she sobbed as if her heart would break from her bosom having at length become a little tranquillized she continued my poor julian how very pale and wretched you look would that you had never seen me and so have avoided this misery and must i make you still more wretched by disclosing the dreadful truth oh i had better let it fester in my heart and die with it untold if you ever loved me murmured julian in a hollow broken voice keep me not in this suspense tell me tell me all he buried his face in his hands and sunk upon the bed ay she cried do not look upon me and i will tell you all keep those dear eyes away and i will speak i cannot bear their glance last night her emotion choked her utterance and it was some time before she could continue last night i waited the approach of my julian my wedded husband the hour arrived the signal was given janetta threw out the letter that was to conduct you to my apartment and then left the room left me alone and in darkness o oh, false and fatal delicacy that made me afraid of meeting the gaze of my wedded lord he came as i thought my julian o oh, holy mother o oh, blessed saints witness for me i thought it was my husband julian raised his head and gazed upon her there was so much horror in his glance that she shrieked wildly and hid her face exclaiming spare me spare me it was long before either of them spoke again julian groaned frequently and heavily as he still lay upon the bed he at length became perfectly still and the silence was only broken by the sobs of isadora 
she at length appeared to notice the long-continued quietness of her wretched husband and crawling toward him took his hand it was icy cold she turned his head so as to look upon his face it was that of a corpse rather than of a living man he is dead she exclaimed oh happy julian in escaping so soon from this loathsome world you have gone before me but i will not linger long behind she imprinted a hundred passionate kisses upon his cold lips and then starting up looked anxiously around the room upon a chair near the foot of the bed lay a case of lancets which the surgeon had inadvertently left behind him when he quitted the room these the wretched girl seized on with frantic eagerness and drawing forth one of the instruments removed the bandage from her arm and applying the point to the puncture already made extended it by a frightful gash the blood gushed from the wound she gazed on it for some moments in terrible tranquillity and then applying the instrument to the other arm severed the vein in two several places a shudder passed over her and her eyes closed as she plunged the fatal steel the third time it fell from her hand and she sunk upon her knees her eyes were upturned her hands clasped and raised in the attitude of prayer while down her snowy arms the crimson tide of life flowed free and fast o oh, blessed mother of god she cried pardon the wretched isadora and receive her to your bosom thou knowest i am unfit to live but i am a polluted creature whose stains all the blood of her perishing body cannot wash away o oh, let those stains rest only on my body and not upon the immortal soul that will so soon be in my presence for thou knowest blessed mother my heart was innocent her head sank upon the bed and her arms were clasped around the neck of her insensible husband the warm blood of the dying girl trickled down his face and either that or the spontaneous struggles of youthful life within him restored his long suspended animation he awoke to life as a mortal faintness was benumbing the senses of his dying bride he gazed on her some time as if unconscious of her condition or his own and the first thing that seemed to recall his wandering senses was the sight of that crimson jet which still continued to pour out the current of life from her wounded arm what is this he exclaimed blood blood nothing but horrors she opened her half-closed eyes as he spoke and said faintly what voice is that my julians am i still dreaming he exclaimed raising her in his arms or are these horrors real speak to me my isadora speak and let me hear your voice i am dying julian she murmured i am dying forgive me forgive me i am innocent my father bless him she spoke no more her eyes closed her head dropped and julian held in his arms an inanimate corpse a long and dangerous illness gave to the wounded mind of julian de montalermo a temporary oblivion as reason returned he awoke again to life an altered man a few weeks had been to him as years youth was departed the winter of premature age had already chilled his blood one memory and one desire were all he lived for one was in the tomb of his isidore the other was an unquenchable thirst for the blood of her destroyer but fate had anticipated him before he arose from his sick couch the great tyrant philippo maria visconti had ceased to exist after a life of public and private turpitude only paralleled in the annals of his own family he had died peacefully in his bed he was the last male of his detested name and his decease was hailed in the north of italy as the signal of freedom milan asserted her rights the republic was restored and julian found some gratification for his revenge in assisting to demolish the fabric of tyranny which the detested filippo maria had sacrificed all ties of earth and hopes of heaven to erect and consolidate but the illusion was transitory liberty was no more to find an abiding place in italy francisco sforza the son of that adventurous peasant whom a lucky omen led to fortune and a name of in history 
had wedded the daughter of the last visconti to the ambition of his father-in-law he added the qualities of the consummate soldier and having by judicious measures prepared the way for his intended usurpation he suddenly threw off the mask and claimed the sovereignty of lombardy the battle which decided the fate of milan was fought on the twenty eighth of december fourteen forty nine the opponents being the milanese and their allies the venetians opposed to sforza and his veteran bands the contest was sanguinary and long doubtful julian de montalermo signalized himself that day by a desperation of valor that commanded the admiration even of his foes sforza himself felt the point of his lance upon his cask and would have received at his hand the fitting reward of his duplicity and ambition but for the interference of one of his party the man to whom sforza owed his life on this occasion was distinguished by the richness of his armour and the remarkable skill and grace with which he managed his horse and arms he attacked julian with great fury but a press of combatants parted them and they met no more till toward the end of the day when fortune had already declared against the republicans a narrow bridge over the adige had afforded the means of retreat or rather of flight to a considerable body of the milanese but they were closely pursued by the enemy and if overtaken their destruction was inevitable a few desperate men in such a pass might do much they would perish but they could check for a time an army this was seen by julian and he threw himself upon the bridge two faithful adherents alone attended him the enemy approached at their head was julian's late opponent when he perceived who impeded the passage he spurred eagerly forward in advance of his party and reining his metal charger abruptly halted at a lance's length from the devoted three at the same time raising his visor well met julian de montalermo he exclaimed this is the hour of vengeance look upon me well and say if you know me i know you only for the friend of a false tyrant and the enemy of milan replied julian couching his lance as he spoke listen then and know me better returned the stranger i am geronimo caponi the page to whom ten years ago you dealt a blow see is it not the mark of shame he had read upon my cheek it will not away till i have washed it off in your blood one victim have i had already for it was i that led this county to your bride yet my revenge is still unsatisfied infernal villain cried julian your place in hell shall not be empty long have at your heart he pressed spurs to his charger as he spoke his opponent did the same and they met point to point but the place between them was too confined to render the charge of either effective and dropping their lances they attacked each other sword in hand the conflict was fierce but short a tremendous blow dealt by julian penetrated the helmet of his enemy and inflicted a severe wound while at the same moment geronimo's sword found a passage through the joints of his antagonist's corslet and pierced his neck neither could longer wield his weapon but leaning forward they seized each other in a deadly grapple a charge of sforza's troops pressed the combatants against the parapet of the bridge at that moment julian concentrating his failing strength in one last effort drew his dagger from his sheath and plunged it into his enemy's throat the grasp of geronimo relaxed he leaned on one side slipped from the saddle and fell into the dark stream of the adige julian cast one glance toward the setting sun murmured isidore you are avenged and fell dead upon his charger's neck End of section three